Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. And I'm Catherine Jenkins, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Nottingham. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR A55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. So glad you tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Becky Miller about grief. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Now, can we can you give us some background information about yourself? Yes, of course. Um, so I'm a postdoctoral research associate at the University of York in the UK. And I'm working on a four-year project here called Grief, a Study of Human Emotional Experience, um, working alongside my fellow philosophers, Matthew Ratcliffe, Louise Richardson, and Emily Hughes. And the overarching goal of this project is to develop a detailed, wide-ranging, and integrated account of what it is to experience grief. And as part of this, among other things, I've been looking at how grief can alter our experiences of the world, how grief can be um, regulated by aesthetic practices, how we relate to the living and the dead, and the extent to which we can grieve other losses um, than bereavements. Um, and prior to beginning my work on this project, I did a PhD in philosophy at the University of Edinburgh, which was focused upon perception and our embodied experiences of the world. Right, so what was it that inspired you to study grief? Yeah, um, so I first became interested in the subject of grief after suffering a bereavement myself. Um, my father passed away very suddenly in the final year of my PhD at Edinburgh. And really that loss was unlike anything else I'd experienced in my life up until that point. Um, it really felt like being kind of catapulted into a different universe. And as a philosopher, I definitely have a tendency to reflect upon my own experiences. And it was very striking to me how philosophically challenging the experience of grief is. Um, so losing someone very central to your world isn't just a matter of feeling deeply sad for a long time, as you might kind of think before you've experienced something like that for yourself. It really shatters your entire world and colors almost every aspect of your lived experience. Um, so after having that experience, I really wanted to engage with the experience philosophically perhaps in part to kind of help me make sense of it. Um, and I think in a way as well, going through this experience also kind of confronted my own previous way of doing philosophical research. Um, in this, I'd focus a lot in my PhD on our experiences of the world, uh, kind of perceptual experiences, but I hadn't given much attention to the way that those experiences can be imbued with emotion. Um, and that becomes very hard to ignore when you're going through profound grief. 
Um, I think it's also very striking how little philosophical attention grief had received until quite recently, um, given that it's such a central part of the human experience. And given that everyone, assuming that they're going to outlive a loved one at some point or other, will experience it. So with our project at York, we've been trying to kind of remedy this omission in the philosophical literature and cast some light on the nature of grief. How do we understand the nature and role of grief? So I think this is a very interesting and difficult question, but I think a good starting point for thinking about the nature of grief is to observe that it's quite different from most other emotional experiences in various ways. So most emotions like feeling sad or feeling angry are generally relatively short lived. So you, you might feel sad watching a, a sad movie or you might kind of get angry with your neighbor for doing DIY late at night or something like that. But generally, these experiences pass quite quickly. Whereas one of the notable things about grief is that it generally lasts a very long time, unfolding over the course of many months or years. And grief seems quite different from most other emotional experiences as, as well, in that it can have lots of different emotional episodes as constituents. So as part of your grief, you might feel both sad and angry at various different points. And you might also experience even some kind of positive emotional episodes, like you might have an episode of hope or joy as part of the grief. So really, grief is better considered as a kind of temporally extended process with lots of different constituent parts, rather than being a singular emotional episode or state. And this is a process that can include other emotional elements as well as potentially encompassing various different perceptual experiences, cognitive states and behaviours. Um, it can also include large temporal gaps where you don't actively experience anything that you would want to call grief, and yet you're still kind of undergoing grief's overarching process at that point. Um, so you also asked about the role of grief. So in terms of its role, in his essay, Mourning and Melancholia, Sigmund Freud described grief as being a kind of work, um, which as he puts it, eventually allows the ego to become kind of free and uninhibited again. So you might think of grief as performing some kind of function like this, which allows you to kind of adapt um, and come to terms with your loss. In our project at York, we've been looking at the idea that grief can be understood as a kind of protracted process of comprehension where you gradually understand the full implications of all of the lost possibilities that are wrought by the death of your loved one. So your emotional experience over time is directed at different aspects of these lost possibilities. And these can be losses to you, losses to the person who died, um, also losses that relate to a future that you would have shared together with the person who died, and perhaps even to the losses for other people as well um, who also loved this person. And it takes a really long time to comprehend and get to grips with all these different many losses. That's why it should be expected that grief, unlike things like simple sadness or anger, unfolds over a really long period of time. So, yeah, you, you can think of the role of grief in terms of this kind of process of comprehension. Some philosophers have also noted that grief performs a kind of normative role. For instance, the philosopher Robert Solomon notes that we're in some sense obligated to grieve those that we love. If someone didn't grieve for someone that they had a very close and loving re relationship, we would likely think that there was something kind of wrong about this. 
And you might cash this out in terms of some kind of like ethical wrong that this person is perhaps kind of being cold and uncaring that they're not grieving for this person that they supposedly love. But you might also think about it in terms of perhaps some kind of dysfunction or perhaps even a kind of medical wrong if someone really doesn't seem to be grieving at all for their loved one. Um, so yeah, to sum up, <laughs> there's a protracted process of comprehension and you kind of are gradually getting to grips with all of these lost possibilities in, in grief. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, now, how are horror films especially suited to portray and communicating the phenomenology of grief? Yes. Um, so, of course, there's, there's lots of fantastic films across lots of different genres that communicate important aspects of the experience of grief. But what I think is distinctive about the horror genre is that it seems to be especially well-placed to portray the kind of world-shattering quality of grief. So, as I've said, there's more to grief than just kind of deep and prolonged sadness. Rather, it can disrupt your entire experience of the world. So this is sometimes put in terms of grief involving major alterations to what you might call your assumptive world. And this is a term that the psychiatrist Colin Parks introduced. And this is your taken for granted system of core beliefs about the world. And after a bereavement, you're forced to revise this system of beliefs. So in my work on, on horror and grief um, with my co-author, Johnny Lee, I've argued that horror is able to capture and communicate this kind of disruption. And that's primarily because often in this genre, there are antagonistic entities or what we might call monsters that shake up the protagonist's entire view of reality. So where horror films engage with the theme of grief, for example, in films like Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, they're able to communicate the phenomenology of grief through use of an unexpected monster. And the arrival of the monster kind of mirrors the disruptive force of the bereavement. And both the monsters of, of horror and the death of a loved one generally fall outside of one's usual conceptual framework and kind of shattering one's assumptive world. Sorry, my cat's just walked in. <laughs> I, I saw the door opening and I thought, oh, my God, it's like a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a ghost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully she'll, she'll Okay, away. I'm glad you explained that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just living in a haunted house here. <laughs> um, yeah, so where was I? So, yes, the the monsters of horror, both the monsters of horror and the death of a loved one kind of fall outside of your usual conceptual framework. So both kind of shattered the protagonist's assumptive world. And I think... Um, by doing this, horror films are able to capture something of the sense of unreality in grief, the kind of feeling that it can't possibly be true. And I think some of the monsters of horror also reflect some more specific aspects of the experience of grief. Um, for instance, the philosopher Kathleen Higgins talks about the ghost archetype reflecting features of the experience of bereavement, such as the way that in grief we can kind of fluctuate between um, experiences of presence of the deceased and uh, experiences of their absence and sometimes also we kind of have the sense of their presence by virtue of their palpable absence and ghosts occupy this kind of nebulous partly present partly absent space as well kind of reflecting this this part of the experience and other monsters in the kind of horror genre um, such as like zombies and vampires 
also appear to occupy this kind of liminal space between life and death, reflecting these tensions in grief's phenomenology. Um, there's also been some suggestion that there might be some phenomenological similarities between grief and fear. And so horror could perhaps capture something of the dread involved in grief. Um, the author C.S. Lewis talked about this after his wife died and said, no one ever told me grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. Um, the same fluttering in the stomach and so on. So if we take C.S. Lewis's idea here seriously, horror films could even trigger, at least for a moment, some similar sensations or physiological responses to those that are involved in grief's process, which might again make this genre especially suitable for portraying aspects of the experience of grief to audiences. Hmm. Yeah, look, does horror offer ways in which the experience of grief can be contained and regulated? Yes. Um, so the idea of grief being contained by aesthetic practices is something that was developed by the philosopher Kathleen Higgins and uh, me and my co-author applied this to the horror domain. So Higgins talks about the containment of grief as being a matter of art serving as a kind of vessel for the scattered emotions involved in grief and as being something that can facilitate restoration of coherence to this experience. Um, and she also talks about how these aesthetic practices can kind of aid in the reconnection with the social world in grief, um, as often people feel very kind of cut off from that following a bereavement. So I think that horror's capacity to represent grief's phenomenology, and in particular, its ability to kind of represent aspects of the phenomenology that are very difficult to make sense of and to describe, um, gives it this potential to, to help with these aspects of grief's, um, grief's containment. So in particular, the monsters and antagonistic forces of, um, of horror give a kind of tangible face to a very nebulous sense of kind of world shattering unreality and disruption that's involved in grief. And by representing this kind of experience, I think that horror can aid in the communication of these, these very difficult to describe aspects of the experience to others, thereby helping to reconnect the bereaved to the social world. Um, another feature of horror that has the potential to help kind of reconnect bereaved people in this way is by virtue of the genre's willingness to confront the topic of death head on. So I think many people who've experienced a bereavement have kind of had the experience of discovering how uncomfortable people are with discussing and thinking about death, which is one of the reasons that the experience can be so lonely for people. Um, so I think just the fact that this genre is very willing to talk about death has the potential to kind of allow people to reconnect socially and feel less alone. You sort of touched on this, but are there any other benefits of this? Yeah, so I think in addition to the the benefit of kind of allowing uh, people to feel less alone in their grief, I think um, this genre also has the kind of ability to restore some coherence and regulate people's experiences in some way. So. As I've kind of mentioned, grief is characterized by this sort of profound disruption to one's world. And because of this, it might not be possible to provide a, a narrative about one's own experience of loss while you're kind of in the throes of grief. 
So I think what artworks and horror films more specifically can provide is some kind of narrative structure to an emotional experience that might otherwise lack one. So a horror film can kind of give voice, um, so to speak, to the horror and turbulence um, of the experience of grief and allow the emotional experience to temporarily have a bit more kind of structure than it otherwise would have. So the ups and downs of grief can be kind of contained as part of your experience of the film for the duration of watching it. And this might provide some sort of regulation to the emotional experience, particularly when the film arrives at a kind of resolution point at the end, sort of allowing your, your emotional experience for a little while to, to kind of have this kind of narrative shape. So I think those are some of the ways that horror films have the potential to regulate and uh, provide benefits to the bereaved. However, I think it is important to note that um, any benefits of viewing horror films are very likely to only be applicable to those who already have a more general preference for the genre. I wouldn't recommend that someone who detests horror films goes and watches them because they've had <laughs> they've suffered a bereavement. I don't think they'd find much benefit there. So I think that those um, who already find horror to be a kind of rewarding and positive experience are those that are more likely to experience these kinds of benefits. Could you explain about the widespread experiences of grief that have been reported during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, um, so throughout the pandemic, I think a lot of people have noticed across various news outlets, lots of articles about grief, um, some of which are kind of claiming that we're all grieving and so on. So as part of our project here at York, we've been looking at both at how people's experiences of bereavement have been disrupted during the pandemic, and also the possibility that many people might have experienced grief over other non-bereavement losses during this time. Um, so I'll say a little bit about both of these issues, if that's okay. Um, so with regards to the former, obviously lots of people have unfortunately suffered bereavements during the pandemic, both from COVID-19 and from other causes. And I think it's safe to say that the pandemic and the social restrictions that were in place in many parts of the world disrupted the process of comprehension and adaptation to loss that's ordinarily central to grief. Um, so grief doesn't usually unfold in isolation from other people. We attend funerals, engage in other rituals, share stories with others. And this is all part of us making sense of the losses that we've experienced. Um, and all of this has been disrupted through the pandemic. In our project here, we conducted a questionnaire study and uh, this explored first person experiences of grief. And many of the testimonies we collected talked about the ways that the pandemic and social restrictions had influenced their experiences. Um, so some people reported that they felt as though their grief was on hold in some sense. They weren't able to engage in the process of adaptation due to being cut off from, from other people and from the usual kind of scaffolding that would shape the way that grief unfolds. Um, for other people, the grief, uh, the experience of grief was complicated by the concurrent disruption of the bereavement, but also the pandemic. And so some people reported not being able to tell what was down to the bereavement and what was down to the kind of the pandemic and the social restrictions and so on. Interestingly, some people also reported that they found the pandemic was was helpful for them in some way in processing their grief, um, talking about kind of 
I mean, some people are just happy to not have to engage in kind of social events that they might have otherwise found awkward. But I think for some people, having this sense that everyone's world had kind of stopped or was disrupted rather than only theirs might have been helpful to them. So I think there's there's a lot to be said about how people's experiences of bereavement have been altered over the past couple of years. Um, however, there's also the important issue um, of whether those who haven't suffered a bereavement during the pandemic may also have experienced grief. So there do seem to be some very important similarities between many people's experiences of the pandemic and people's experiences of bereavement. So the, the kind of shattering of one's assumptive world that is characteristic of grief might have occurred at least for some people during the pandemic too. As I think that for many, it really kind of shook up their core assumptions about the safety and stability of the world and maybe of their freedom to, to you know, leave their homes and see other people and so on. Um, so pretty kind of core beliefs have been shaken up. Um, and in relation to this, I think, both bereavement and living through the pandemic can be construed as involving this navigation of wide ranging disruption to one's life, as well as the comprehension of all different, um, all these different losses of life possibilities. So in bereavement, it's not just a singular loss of a person that one has to comprehend, it's all the other losses relating to that person as well. Um, such as like no longer having that person present at your wedding or maybe not having a co-parent for your child anymore or, or even just little things like not having someone to phone up and talk to or watch TV with and things like that. Um, and with COVID-19 amidst the overarching kind of pandemic related disruption, there were also a whole host of like little losses for people. Um, like not being able to have a birthday party or not being able to see your loved ones, missing the first steps of your grandchild, um, not being able to do your hobbies. And, you know, all of these like little subsidiary losses that were involved in the pandemic experience. So I think in both cases, um, both in bereavement and in navigating the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been lots of little losses that have had to be gradually negotiated over time. But these little losses form part of a kind of overarching disruption to one's world. Um, I think that that's a really important similarity between these experiences. Um, one other thing that's worth noting is that in both cases as well, there's a kind of loss of social scaffolding, which would ordinarily play a role in regulating your emotional experiences. So in bereavement, often you, you lose someone who played a very important role in your emotional life. Seeing them or speaking with them or holding their hand might have played a very central role in regulating your emotional experiences um, on a kind of day to day basis. So losing them can really disrupt your emotional experience of the world and constitutes a massive loss of social support. Um, and it's the same in the COVID-19 pandemic. We're obviously very literally cut off from other people um, and lost access to people who played an important role in regulating our emotions and providing social support. So I think that that's another important similarity between bereavement and what's happened over the past couple of years during the pandemic. Yeah, it certainly is. Is grief just a necessary evil in life? So it's sometimes said that grief is a continuation of love, 
or sometimes this is put in terms of grief being the price that we pay for love. And I think there's certainly something to this idea. If grief is a process of adapting to and comprehending losses, then we should expect to grieve to the extent that our lost loved ones matter to us and are woven into our lives in important ways. We can't comprehend and adapt to these kinds of profound losses and their implications instantaneously. So unfortunately, grief and its protracted process with all of its emotional upheaval does seem to be a necessity where we lose a loved one. If we're going to live lives where we love and where things matter to us, this comes along with an intrinsic risk of having to navigate these kinds of losses. However, I think that because grief does relate to love and things mattering to us in this kind of way, we might question whether it's right to construe grief as an evil, even if it is necessary. I think as, as awful and painful as the experience is, a lot of people have the intuition that there would be something bad about not experiencing grief and that those who didn't grieve would be missing something valuable. Um, so yeah, I think death is obviously inevitable. And so grief is necessary too, to the extent that people matter to us and are integral to our worlds. Yeah, that's, that's true. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? I don't think so, um, except, to, except to say thanks very much for having me. Um, if people are interested in our project here at York, you can look us up at griefyork.com or follow us on Twitter at, at griefyork. We, have, we often have public lectures about grief, which are open to everyone. Right. Do you have any future study plans within this field after you finish at the end of the year? Well, so the project's still going on for a little bit longer. Um, after that, we'll have to see what happens next. I think especially with um, the pandemic and the disruption over the past couple of years, there's a lot to be, of work to be done and kind of seeing how people do end up processing their grief, given the kind of changed social environment that we've had to operate in. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And, and especially to... I think that one group of people are fairly forgotten in the pandemic, and that's the COVID long haulers. And they'd be going through certain grief too, and it's grief, uh, especially if you're suffering fatigue it's, uh, or other health issues. And that, that's, that's a sort of a grieving process as well. It's like something that you had before and things have changed and, you know, you don't have it at the moment. That's sort of a process of grief as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think there's important similarities between the experience of bereavement and the kind of loss of bodily capacities, I suppose, um, that go along with chronic illness. So I think that there are all sorts of different ways that people's experiences during the pandemic can result in these sorts of lost life possibilities that are central to experiences of grief. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thanks for having me. And I've been speaking with Dr. Becky Miller about grief. That's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program.